For season three of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine, we partnered with Energer to create 18 episodes centered around creativity, marketing, branding, and innovation. With over 1,000 associates in 21 offices around the globe, Energer is a key member of the Omnicom Group and Omnicom Commerce Group, as well as the commerce arm of TBWA Worldwide. Huge thanks to Energer for helping amplify Black voices and narratives from industry leaders. Ah, not, not too much. I'm, I'm ready to, to find out more and, and see what, what you got for me. Awesome. Well, we will jump into it. So welcome all to another episode of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. I'm super excited because this is our third season and it's so fascinating because on season one, I know many of you heard me say, I don't know if we're going to be here in six months, but look at us one year later and we're still here in season three. So thank you so much for everyone at home that's been listening. On today's show, um, it's it's really, really special to me because I have a ton of guests on this show and no shade, but this is truly um, a brother of mine, um, not only um, in, in life, but fraternity sense, advertising in general. But I would love to welcome Matt BK Augustine to our show. Um, you know, Matt, I'm excited to have you on the show because people see, I think, so much of what you do, how you've been doing it, how dynamic you've been. But I don't I don't really think people understand, you know, your your journey. So I'm excited to have you on the show for that standpoint. I think that we a lot of people see the hard work and know into everything that goes into what you do, but excited to dive into that. But while we are talking about the nine to five, let's just jump into it. He is a huge part of brand partnerships and business development at FaZe Clan, which, I mean, thanks so much for joining because, I mean, come on now, all my gamers listening, I already know my number is going to go up. So I appreciate it. <laughs> As director of brand and creative strategy, BK is responsible for pitching ideas to current partners, seeking out new business opportunities, overseeing brand and creative strategy for all brand sponsors, copywriting, product, uh, excuse me, project and brand management. And previously to working at FaZe Clan had a great run within the advertising industry, also known for doing so many different things. So uh, BK, my brother, welcome to A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. How are you feeling? I'm doing well. That that's an amazing intro. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, super stoked to be here. Uh, anytime that I hear you're up to something, I'm excited about how I can get involved. Um, you've been putting the pressure since I've known you in a good way. So again, super <laughs> stoked to be here. It's an honor to even have this chance to be a part of what you're building. Oh yeah, listen and trust me. I mean, it was a, it's an honor to have you on the show. You know, I mean, I've been trying to get you on since like last season, and I actually appreciate when people are like not responding or too busy not 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 calling bk out I was like, Oof, but, but, but it lets me know that you are up to things and you actually just got back from being out of the country you were out of the states what what was going on that's correct so um originally i was out in europe meeting with a client uh i, I can't say specifically where it was because it'll make it a little Absolutely. bit too easy yeah, to no, narrow down me, yeah we yeah we we are nda proofed here so you don't have to give us details but you were in europe and that's that's more than enough yeah. 
so and let's, even let's... from there, I went from there to Atlanta. So it's been a crazy week. And now I'm finally back in, in L.A. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, look, I mean, we're talking about we I mean, I know we know Mr. Worldwide Pitbull, but we may have Mr. Worldwide <laughs> on our hands, uh, BK. So, look, let's dive into it, because I read a little bit about your bio. I also said your name. Where does BK come from? Yeah, so I was born in Brooklyn, New York. No, no, no. The uh, actual. Okay, there we go. There we go. Yeah. So shortened down to BK. Um, you normally don't hear people go by that nickname, uh, and I just love it. It helps me stand out. I actually didn't embrace it until recently in the corporate setting. I used to always love to keep my personal life in one space, my professional yeah. life in another. And the pandemic kind of encouraged me, look, just show up as yourself. The worst that's going to happen is you repel who doesn't matter, you attract who does. And yeah. so I've been leaning fully into what all my friends outside the work environment call me a lot more. And it's been able to make me flow a lot smoother, I should say, when it comes to how, how I show up and show out every day. Interesting. You don't feel like that actually, like, doesn't blend the two worlds together too much like because you know you have some people that actually like to leave a part of part of that at home and the others to bring it to work but you're saying you wanted to bring that to work are you finding it more beneficial oh yeah definitely am um so i'm a workaholic to begin with and i mean everyone hears that like that old adage of like look if you do what you love you don't work a day in your life well i mean yes you're still working but for me it truly does not feel each and every day like i'm just working so when mm -hmm. i was able to show up and just be myself it honestly made things easier versus trying to compartmentalize things and figure out what part of myself showed up i was like look i'm just gonna be me and show up as me and again it made everything easier Wow, that's beautiful. So look, let's let's take a bit of a walk back because I I this is crazy. I feel like I'm learning more about you than uh, you know, which which happens through life. Trust me. Uh, a lot of people that met me when they first met me, I always tell them I'm a changed man since day one. You know, people grow, they they start to do things uh, differently. But you were born in Brooklyn, so walk us through your life journey. Um, I guess from you know childhood to teenage years. Absolutely. So neither of my parents are from the States. My dad was born and raised a little bit out of Port-au-Prince, Haiti. My mom born and raised a little bit out of Georgetown, Guyana. So not to be confused with Ghana, Guyana in South America. And so having two immigrant parents who moved to the States who were chasing the American dream is what had me moving around a lot. And so similar to how you would see army kids bouncing from state to state, city to city when they get relocated, that was essentially my life through the first chunk of it. So born in Brooklyn, New York, uh, I like to say raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's not as cool of a nickname as BK, so I didn't go as Cincy or Cincinnati. I went with BK. <laughs> yeah. uh, bounced around there a lot. And again, as better job opportunities came, as better houses became available, as their finances got better, and our family continued to grow, we just kept moving. So from Brooklyn to Cincinnati to the Chicagoland area, down to Atlanta, and then finally to LA. So it, it's been a, a great journey moving around. And again, just really flowing off of uh, my parents' opportunities. And some people will look at this like you don't really have a home base. You don't have anything that you can look back to. But honestly, I loved it because it made me able to walk in any room and adjust to whomever's in there. It doesn't matter what level, doesn't matter what background. I've seen so many cultures just by moving around so much that it actually has made, in my opinion, my life a lot easier. Wow, that's 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 remarkable. And I guess out of all those places, where do you feel like the foundation of you know, obviously who you were back then is a lot different, but who you are today was truly made. Like, where do you feel like you started becoming into into yourself, things that you stood for, things that you understood? What what place was that? Oh, my friends are going to give me a hard time for this because I never give the city its props, but I'm going to do it right now. I'd have to say Here Chicago. 
Wow, uh, let's shit, shit. that on the map. Uh, and and I won't go into why I didn't want to give Chicago its credit, but honestly, I'll keep it positive. Chicago, honestly, was really where I matured. That's where I yeah. started to carve out who I was, started to carve out my brand, started to figure out those lifelong friendships. Sure, I have people that I know from other places, but Chicago is a city where like those are friends that I talk to probably each and every day. Uh, it's where I went to college as well, um, at Illinois State, so about two hours out from Chicago. And then I moved down to the south side with one of my frat brothers for a while. So I will say that was the city that really had me coming of age. And then Atlanta right after is a quick second is where I got the confidence to move on my own and kind of show up like I don't need this imposter syndrome. I am who I said I am. So I would say those two cities are, are very close in one and two. Wow. You know, you never you never really truly realize the connection that you have with the individual, like even though surface level, I know you and I have had like great conversations, but at the more that you talk about your journey, the more I see similarities in either places I've been, places that I grew up. I don't know if you know this. I was born in Queens, New York. Um, yeah, I was born in Queens, New York. Hey. Um, I did dance a little bit in, uh, hey. in the Bub Billiken Parade. I was in a hip hop dance troupe. And I also uh, went to high school in Atlanta. So very much so familiar with um, all those areas that you just mentioned. That's so, crazy, man. We got to hit an eight count together one time for the fun time when we go Hey, out. tell me, hey, dum, 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 get down, little mama. Dum, 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 get down, little mama. Get down, get down. Don't, don't get me started. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Hey, trust me, trust me. Um, but look, so now you are at FaZe Clan, right? But before correct. that, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were just a pizza delivery guy. Oh, yeah. Um, right before Marcus Graham Project. Shout out to them. Shout out to Lincoln. Shout out to Larry. And shout out to you. And at home listening, just a little bit about the Marcus Graham Project before you dive into your pizza delivery man journey. Because this is, this is just a crazy story. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so Marcus Graham Project essentially takes young, diverse, and not even just young, just diverse candidates who mm -hmm. are looking to get their feet wet in the advertising industry and imagine Mad Men meets the real world. So mm -hmm. you go, you all live together um, in obviously separate rooms, depending on the number of people. Uh, mm -hmm. There weren't that many rooms for us because it was a smaller group, but you go, you yeah. form your own advertising agency and you work with real clients, everyone from like a Beats by Dre to a Pepsi and anyone in between and actually build these real campaigns. So it was an amazing experience and it's how I got my feet wet to even fall in love with advertising because I honestly had no idea that there was such a lucrative industry out there. So again, amazing experience, amazing program. I don't like to call it an internship. I like to call it a boot camp because that's yeah. really what it was. And again, that's how I met some of my lifelong friends and mentors like yourself. Awesome. So yeah, and shout out to Lincoln, Stevens, Larry, Marcus Grant Project for sure. But prior to that, you were basically saying pepperoni or cheese. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, 23, and I, I don't mean this statement from ignorant standpoint because i understand everyone goes through things but 23 was probably oh, yeah, the absolutely. hardest year I mean, of my we, all life. Have, we also we also have a, the the biggest you know like where you start off i tell people crazy enough i was working since I, i've been working since i was 13. that's why by the time that you all met me it was <laughs> <laughs> you said you were there you're not gonna date yourself but you you got there yeah 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 there's a lot of things there but no i think it's so important to talk about the early beginnings for people to understand the journey so yeah walk us through that yeah, so absolutely. 23, I like to say, was one of the hardest years of my life. Mm. Um, I had graduated Illinois State University at um, 22 years old. I was there for four and a half years because I switched majors. I switched to public relations from a nursing major. 
And I had wow. a minor in Spanish, which added a lot of time, but also um, allowed me to get out before five or six years because I knew if I stayed too long, I would get sucked into just being a partier on campus. Yeah. And so you I graduated uh, in Spanish. <laughs> no, I am not. Uh, okay. I like to say I should have just studied abroad. I think okay. I would have learned a lot more about it just did that. Yeah. Um, so if anyone listening has that opportunity, please, please, please take it because I guarantee you will come out knowing a lot more than someone that studied six years of something. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, after I graduated, I actually landed a job in sales uh, because I was working at T-Mobile and one of the gentlemen that came in there to pay his bill, he ended up leaving with like $300 worth of stuff. And as he was getting ready to leave and like he swiped his card, he looked at me, he was like, what, what are you doing out here? Because, you know, Bloomington Normal is a sister city where the, the town blew up more as the college came there, rightfully so. So you can kind of tell when people really aren't from the town, they're more so college students in that area. And so he stopped and was like, yo, what, what, what are you doing out here when you graduate? And I was like, I actually graduate in two weeks. He's like, when you're done, come holler at me in my office. Mm -hmm. And so I went to go talk to him in his office, got a job in outside sales. And like, I don't mind sharing this information. That was my first job ever where rent was super cheap and I was making 45,000 a year. And that's that's not bad. For someone who just graduated where rent is like 800 bucks so i was like i could do this however and no disrespect to anyone on the sales side like a lot of places you don't need a degree to do sales you just need to have that that drive that motivation and that that skill of just connecting with people and so while that was great uh, i went and told my two foreign parents that look i understand i'm getting paid but i want to quit i don't want to mm -hmm. do this i want to do something closer to my degree in public relations or marketing especially because i'd switched mid-year through my college career i was like i feel like i need to put this to you and they're like, oh, OK, my dad went off in uh, his language and then he just eventually accepted it. My mom being the you know, supporting mother that she is, she was like, look, as long as you have a vision, uh, I'm sure in the back of their heads, they're like, here we go again with our pockets. Uh, but, you know, they, they, they got behind it and they eventually started supporting that idea. And so what I ended up doing is I picked up an unpaid internship in Chicago. And I still lived in my college town. So again, that two hour drive, not to mention yeah. it was winter time. So sometimes that two hours could take two and a half, three hours. Oh, uh, and that unpaid internship was from 8 a.m. until 4.45. And the reason why I say 4.45 is because once 4.45 came, I had to go to the bathroom, change into my pizza delivery job that I picked up just to pay for gas, to pay for parking, to pay for life, because I had quit that lucrative job and now was seeing all these bills come in. And I was delivering pizza from 5 p.m. until 3 a.m. on the weekdays, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And so when I worked both jobs, I basically was going from 8 a.m. until 3 a.m. And then if I had time, I would drive back home and get some rest. If I didn't, I would crash on some of my frat brothers' uh, couches in the city. And my payment was like, look, I'm broke, but I'll bring you all some pizza and some wings, uh, <laughs> cheese and pepperoni, to your yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so that experience was not, I, like, when I say humiliating, I mean it in a good way. It, it, it humbled mm -hmm. me it brought me back down to earth of like here i was recently graduated college feeling like i was going to be on top of the world and mm -hmm. then it's like you got smacked in the face of like oh no nah, dog this is real life this is what yeah. you have to figure out yes. and so for those six to seven months that i was doing it uh it was exhausting it was taxing i didn't have time or energy to go out and hang out with friends so i started becoming kind of isolated a little bit more introverted uh and, and i was just miserable but I remembered at the end of the day that I was grinding towards something bigger. And so what I would do when I did have free time is I would crank out and my goal was at least 10 applications a day for, for jobs. And so mm -hmm. I was doing like 20 or 40 if I could, but it was at least 10. 
And the problem is, I'm sure you've probably dealt with this too in the past, and many of your listeners probably have as well. When you apply in the regular way of just like, you know, submitting your applications, mm -hmm. it seems that all of the systems run off of the same system because they all kick you back a response <laughs> at the same time. Was, Thank you for your time. However, we decided to go in another direction. So there would be yeah. these spells of knocking out all these applications. And then I'll wake up one morning to like 40 rejections. Mm -hmm. And that was like, you know, recurring for about, again, several months of me just putting my head down, trying to grind and figure it out. And that's how I ended up stumbling into the Marcus Graham project by accident. Wow. There was a, there was a career fair. Uh, and I, I remember looking at the career fair and this was back when I used to do the hack of your bank will forgive you for a couple overdraft charges before they start canceling it. Oh yeah. $20 in my account. The career fair was like 40 bucks. Parking was like 15 bucks. So as you could tell, I, I knew I was going to be overdraft, but I was like, I'm going to go into this career fair and I'm going to leave with something because if yeah. not, I'm going to be broke for two weeks and not know what to do other than eating literally leftover pizza at the end of the night when my boss decided to be friendly and let me do that. And so I stumbled into the Marcus Graham project because my friend Johnny Lovett was actually there and he was sitting at a table and I just stopped to talk with him like, yo, what's, what's Marcus Graham project? And mm -hmm. he told me what it was about. And I was like, when is the due date for applications? It sounds amazing. He's like, oh, I actually checked the website. Uh, I'm not sure. Went on the website, the applications were due that day. And I was like, oh, I, I don't know how I can make this happen. He was like, let me reach out to Lincoln, let him know that you're applying. Uh, just try to figure out if you can get it in the next 24. So I literally left the career fair, went, it was in a hotel. Yeah, Went downstairs to like the to FedEx printing room, spent another $60 to overnight my application, my book and everything just to even wow. try to get on the board for MGP. And sure enough, fast forward a couple weeks later, they called like, hey, pack your stuff. You're coming to doubt. So it was a, a humiliating time. But delivering pizza, I, I distinctly remember the time when I remember like something had to change. It was a snowpocalypse. It was like a negative 45 with chill type of day. And I delivered, you know, two pizza pies to some college students. And again, snow everywhere, ice everywhere, hard to get around. And I remember when I got to their door, he looked at me, he was like, this pizza's cold. We're not tipping you anything. And I was like, huh. And that was like my moment of like how he was talking down to me, how he was treating me of like, I need to keep going harder because I can't keep doing this. And mm. luckily again, that led me to the MGP experience and the rest is history. That literally was a catapult to my career. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that story. You know, that's beautiful. You know, I have this quote, I don't know, people know I have these things called a do-isms that I coined, but I always like to say that I feel like humil humility at the end of the day will always lead to happiness. And so my question for you now is looking back on those times, how, how, how do you view things in hindsight now about what you were doing and also how you were moving? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I liken it to like, pledging and and for those of y'all that know know but at the end of the day what it taught me is it can get a lot worse so mm. now if i'm dealing with a ton of fire drills and everyone around me is panicking and under like not understanding how i'm staying so calm it's like because it's been a lot worse and it can get a lot worse like there will be times where you fall flat on your face and you look around and feel like yo i don't know what's going on in my life what did i do wrong you start calculating all the missteps you start really beating yourself up and then again, mm -hmm. that imposter syndrome sinks in and it really starts to creep in and, and make you feel a way where you don't feel adequate enough. But you like to have a, a duisms. I like to have my mantra in life, which is sink or swim, and I don't believe in drowning. And if I could make it through that, then honestly, I'm not worried about anything else that gets thrown my way. Yeah. In those early stages, though, what did support look like for you? Because it sounds like you were a bit of a one man show in terms of like how you were moving. I mean, were there any resources or people that you had close by that were helping you along the way, even if it was possibly mates? 
you know, maybe you're not with them no more. We're going to have to get into that. But I'm just curious because I think that <laughs> it's important for, especially when it comes to communities of color, so often we hold so much on our shoulders, not realizing the support that we have around us. And I think it's worth mentioning just in case somebody mm. is in a similar situation, they can look to the right or left of them and kind of say, hey, I need some help through this because that sounds, Matt, Matt, you are also different. That's why I'm saying that, the way that you do it. But I'm curious, what support did you have around you? Absolutely. And I think we're all a prisoner of this mindset, especially in our culture, like even listen to our music. Uh, I did it by myself. I did it my way. But like, let's be real. No one did. Even the people that are rapping that on a song, someone had to help them produce it unless they're literally a one man or woman band. But still, there is someone in their circle that looked out for them. That said, uh, I, I'm glad during that time frame in my life where everything was difficult, I was single because I am the type of person where if I don't feel I can show up and be full in myself, how can I give to anyone else? But that doesn't mean I didn't have people that helped me. Like I said, I have my frat brothers who would let me crash on their couch literally yeah. any day. I could call them at 3 a.m. like, guys, I'm exhausted. I'm not going to make it back two hours to Illinois State in this snowstorm. I have to be right back in the city at 730 in the morning. Do you mind if I crash on your couch? Like, bro, stop calling and asking pepperoni. See you soon. And so, like, I had people <laughs> like that in my corner. And then Marcus Graham was really one of the first times where I started embracing more of the mentors. And that's when, again, yourself, Lincoln. Larry, Remy, John, like there are so many people that I can go on for days and days that from that program, Marcus Collins, like they all, you all, I should say, because you're in that group, saw something in me where it wasn't a like, hey, I'm just going to hand it to you. It's a look, this is what I did to navigate difficult times in my life. Take those nuggets and use that to apply yourself. But then also following up and saying, hey, just checking in to see how you're doing. I remember you talking about X, Y and Z. So while I took a lot on my own and I, I didn't necessarily share the emotional side of things, I had so much support from other people. And I recognized that. And when I started to embrace it more is when I got more opportunities. I'll even use an example. Again, one of my mantras, network is your net worth. And people say it all the time. But the way I moved to Los Angeles was because of a connection Brittany Allen I made in Marcus Graham Project. Mm. She threw me at Ali Youth in 2018, and then the job flew me and my now wife out to Los Angeles. So again, wow. all those people that I had in my corner that I started to lean on and just accept that, look, I'm not doing this on my own, made my life 10 times better. And like you said, we get we tend to be prisoners of the moment, the prisoners of the culture, thinking mm. we have to be crabs in a barrel and just try to make it. But man, oh man, when you start to lean into your tribe, it makes things so much better. Ah, awesome. Lovely. I appreciate you sharing that. And also, yes, shout out to Brittany Allen, our listeners uh, listening. They, we love Brittany. Brittany was a co-host last season. So many of you heard uh, the gems that Brittany was on the show. We, we need to get Brittany back on the show, to be honest, because I mean, yeah. you know, she, she just definitely handled it, but a beast um, in her own right, for sure. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, I, I was reading your bio, Matt, and I mean, first and foremost, congratulations on everything to date. I mean, I was reading 40 Under 40 and all these other lists that you're on and the accolades and the programs and also the campaigns that you've done. Um, what is your definition of what it what it means to be seen? This goes back a little bit to what you were asking me earlier, you know, some folks that need to separate and there's nothing wrong with that separating your personal from your professional for your own mental sanity. I completely understand that. But for me, uh, grain of salt, because I don't speak for my own mindset. When yeah. it comes to being seen, it's it, it, I'm going to attribute it back to this image that I saw a long time ago. It's a grizzly bear or a brown bear mm -hmm. that is sitting down. The rest of its body is in a white polar bear suit, and then there's a white polar bear suit or a white polar bear head on the side. And then you just see the black bear's head inside this white <laughs> polar bear's body. The yeah. reason why I love that image is because I felt like 
in the beginning of my career when I did start to like show up and show out and get the recognition, it didn't feel like it was truly mine. It felt like I had created this image, this brand, this persona, and that's what was winning, not mm. necessarily me. And so now in my career, what it means to be seen is that I can roll up out of bed, I can show up, I can talk in the same slang that I do with my friends. Of course, have some decor, like you don't have to necessarily be rational all the time, but like yeah, I yeah. can show up in a way where if you see me out in public, you're like, oh no, that's just BK versus a, yo, that's not how he works in the office. And for me, being able to do that and stand on that is when I truly started to feel seen because it's now you see me as a human being and who I am and the talent outshines anything else versus this brand that I put into the world that was manufactured to be seen. So yeah. that to me is where it really felt like success is I'm being myself and getting the recognition for it. I love it. And you know, so much of that too is life. You know what I mean? Just life, us yep. growing, us understanding ourselves. And I want to know how has your environment influenced who you are? Because I know that, yes, like you, you, first of all, you mentioned all the places that you lived early on in your career. And then you go from Chicago to Dallas, Texas. I believe that you go from Dallas, Texas, you went somewhere else, but anyway, you landed up in Atlanta, LA, LA now, how has environment, um, I guess, influenced um, who you are today and, and has it? Yeah, it definitely has. And again, this this I love how your your storytelling is weaving it all back together. You're making it so much easier for me. Thank you. Um, <laughs> every city that I've been in has played a, a like a, a major role through some sort of theme, some sort of factor on my life. Mm -hmm. So when it came to Brooklyn, New York, that's like where a lot of my family was. And that was a lot of like seeing my parents trying to hustle. And then granted, I moved when I was young. The fact that we would always go back every summer and again, just seeing how my family grinded, seeing how they were trying to make a living is what kind of gave me from a young age that mindset of, okay, cool. Like you just have to put your, you know, your, your head to the, the pavement and just figure it out. When it was Cincinnati, that was more so, all right, I'm moving around so much in the city. This is me adjusting to different personalities, adjusting to different neighborhoods. We went from a middle-class, lower-class neighborhood to at the time, the number eight middle school in the nation. And as you can tell, I didn't look like a lot of people there. So Cincinnati was a lot of culture shocks in a way that I'm glad I got young. And it helped me, you know, start to understand that just because you think you have something figured out in one area with one community, you don't mean anything to some other folks. And that was a hard pill to swallow. But once I figured it out, again, it made me, it made me understand and, and be able to move more fluidly through these rooms where other folks might feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. When it came to Chicago, Chicago was, again, a lot of those relationships that taught me how to let my guard down and get closer to people. That taught me how to really understand the value of relationships over time versus that mindset that I had previously of, I'm probably not going to live here long. It's go, go, go. Great to meet you. I'm glad we got what we got from each other. But deuces. Chicago was the first time I stopped like, no, this is going to be a friend for life. And I see the value of that. Dallas, mm -hmm. man, hands down, like the, the grit and grind of you're out here, you're not making no bread, you got to figure it out. The real world isn't going to be as intense as this all the time, but yeah. there will be moments like this. So how do you bounce back from an L that you may take? Or how do you move when things suck? And that's what, what Dallas was for me. And not saying that Dallas sucked, but like, again, eating ramen noodles when you're exhausted and having no sleep and then still having to show up and present to someone like a dude who you know is going to chew you out if you don't do the work. <laughs> that, that, that was an experience. Um, Atlanta taught me about stepping out and, and putting my brand into the world. And again, I started mm -hmm. to understand more about my brand in the previous topic we were just talking about of now I'm fully myself. But Atlanta yeah. was like, okay, cool. 
regardless of if I want to or not, there's going to be a brand of me in the world. Atlanta is when I understand it, that I wanted to take control of that brand, that narrative, and really start to tell that story. And mm -hmm. that turned into some really fruitful relationships and gave me a level of confidence that I didn't have anywhere else. And mm -hmm. how, however, the reason why I wanted to leave Atlanta, number one, LA is an amazing city. And number two, I hate cold or any bits of snow. Like any yeah, yeah, yeah. time it starts doing that, I don't want to be there. Yeah. Uh, but Atlanta was a bit slower paced where you don't necessarily mm -hmm. always have to be on your P's and Q's. You can still be successful. Not in LA. If you want an umbuji, if you want to live a certain lifestyle, if you want to be in a certain part of the city, you have to show up and show out all the time. So yeah. that grind, that mindset, that, that attitude of, look, we are going to keep going full speed, whether or not you're running with us or not, you're going to get left behind if you don't. I love that and embrace that. So again, each city has had something to play on my life. And LA is like the home base where I wanted to start. And I love the mindset of, look, what's next? It doesn't matter what I accomplish. Yes, I appreciate the moment, but what's next? And LA helped me build that mindset. So yeah. I love it. And you know, Atlanta and LA are the, well, Atlanta, I want to say you're working at Fitzco. Um, and what's the name of the agency again? I'm sorry. Uh, it's called Fitz. You're right, yeah. Fitzco. Yeah, Fitzco. Fitzco. That's correct. And then, Fitzgerald and uh, Company. Fitzgerald Company, that's the name of it. And then also um, LA, we go to 72 and Sunny, right? So once again, you have this run within advertising. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Angela Brown. Uh, she did the big uh, Popeyes campaign that went viral. She worked for GSDNM, but she now works in the music industry. And she used the term on the show, she's on this season of getting out of advertising. What does it mean to get out of advertising? Is that a thing or are you just simply just switching? Do you ever truly leave like advertising or what What does that mean to you? Yeah, so you, you I took a bit of, of a pivot in your career. I say all that to say you took a pivot too. So what, what is that feeling and also what does that mean? Because I think for a lot of the listeners that are maybe on the bridge of thinking like, well, well what is beyond the, the agency life of what I'm living and what do I want to do? Or maybe I want to stay. I always like mm -hmm. to, I think it'd be helpful to share that perspective. Absolutely. And and I will say this, I would do everything in my career the exact same way because it helped me grow into who I am, yeah. but specifically starting on the ad agency side instead of starting on the brand or the client side. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say that, and then I'm going to get to your, your question too about what it means to, to leave. Uh, the reason why I say that is because when you're in advertising, you're exposed to so many verticals that could have nothing to do with each other. So for example, yeah. at 72 and Sunny, I worked on NFL, I worked on Adidas, I worked on Under Armour, I worked on Tinder, I worked on Supercuts, I worked on Activision Blizzard. So again, right. you can see I'm touching multiple verticals. In Atlanta, I was working on Southern Company, which is B2B gas and energy. I was working on Synovus, which was regional banking. I like checkers and rallies, which is QSR, Coca-Cola. Mm -hmm. So again, you touch so many verticals that when I finally left to get to a place like FaZe Clan, now I'm just in the world of gaming. Sure, there's different things that we touch uh, that gaming has been like the connecting factor to. All that experience that I have makes my life so much easier. So mm -hmm. while I left Entitled and I'm not at an ad agency anymore, the skills that I learned there have set me up for success that it doesn't matter what the client is. If it's an automotive client, if it's a telecom client, it doesn't matter. I've touched each and every vertical and I wouldn't have had that experience if it wasn't for the advertising world. So leaving isn't necessarily leaving it behind for good. It's more so leaving it to utilize those skills and zero in on a specific area. Yeah, love it. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, so as I mentioned, Matt 
was BK. I'm going to start saying myself. <laughs> you call me Matt for so long, bro. It's all no, we go, we, hey, listen, I'm, listen, no, I'm all in. Trust me, I am all in now. Don't, don't, don't mess with me. But, but BK was on the 40 under 40 list. Um, walk us through what did that mean to you? And congratulations again on that recognition. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and again, once again, you keep seeing up the perfect questions. Uh, so thank you. Uh, it, it meant that I was seen because in the past there was awards that I had applied for some won, some lost, um, and none of the wins and not trying to discount anything. I appreciate all the recognition I've gotten through my career, but none of the wins felt as good as that one, because that was the one that I could point at and truly say, yo, I got this while showing as BK. I got this while, you know, getting turned and openly being turned. I got this while showing people <laughs> both my personal and professional Instagram for the world to see. Like, I got this as me versus the social nerd got this versus Matt, the professional got this. And mm -hmm. so for me, it's like 40 and 30 was amazing. I wanted 30 and 30. I, I missed it uh, by, by a hair. I mean, look, I'm thankful regardless of the fact that I got recognized. But I don't yeah. think I deserve to get 30 under 30 because that wasn't me. That was mm. a, a, a element of myself that I put out into the world. So mm. that just showed me, dog, keep going, keep applying pressure. And then back to what I said earlier, in the in the words of the prophet Aubrey Graham, what's next? Mm. Mm. I love it. You know, 40 under 40, we obviously know that you're under 40 here. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, soon, um, you know, you'll be reaching OG status um, in, in the best way. And I say that, and I say that, um, I say that humbly. Um, I love, you know, your LinkedIn posts here and there. I always see you dropping gems, giving people like career advice, different things of that nature. Something that I've been personally always uh, kind of took to heart, even when I was coming up in the industry, is really never seeing enough black men, um, you know, that that um, really just kind of gather around each other to to support each other, uplift each other, because the nuances of being a black man in life and also within advertising, marketing, the entertainment, creative industry is also very nuanced. So it requires those conversations. What advice would you give to a 23-year-old Matt now today? Oh, um, keep going. Keep your head up and keep going. And I know that sounds so cliche, uh, but there were so many times that I I wanted to just take time off or take a mental break for myself, which you should do. Mental health is important. However, I, I kept the pressure up and I ended up getting to where I was at. So again, I wouldn't change anything about that experience. But if I would have showed up every day at 100% or at least 90%, when some days I'll admit I showed up at like 20, there's mm. no telling where my career would have gone. Like, mm -hmm. again, I love where I'm at. I'm extremely grateful for everything that happened. But if I were able to tell 23 year old me like, yo, look how much you did when you only showed up 80% of the time. Imagine what happens if you show up 90. Imagine what happens if you don't let this beat you up. Imagine the negotiations you can have if you don't allow imposter syndrome to creep into these interviews. Like yeah. sure you're delivering pizza, but be the dopest pizza delivery driver ever. And not only was yeah. I doing that, a part of my story I never tell when it comes to delivering pizza is I also ran their marketing and social media campaign for them because mm. no one was doing it. And again, whenever I was interviewing, I never talked about that part. I only talked about the fact that I was delivering pizza, but I talked about the unpaid marketing internship. I should have leaned into my strengths. I should have leaned yeah. into the showing up and showing out a lot more instead of having that inconsistency at times that I did. I love it. And I mean, trust me, I love your pizza story. I can relate to it on, on so many levels because when I was in graduate school, this is when I had graduated. Um, I got my degree in you know graphic design and marketing. 
And as soon as I graduated, um, it was kind of the same thing. I was just like, okay, what is there out there? So I started my own agency and that failed. Uh, lost, uh, quickly learned how to lose uh, 100 Gs. <laughs> And also not also how to uh, follow, you know, business practices. But I had to go to, you know, graduate school. And I was working at Subway and Kohl's at the same time to, to, to do what I needed to do to get my master's. So um, it's important. You know, Matt, I would love um, for you to uh, talk about uh, the one thing that you think the black community, the advertising, creative, entertainment, gaming industry needs a refill of. This season on A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine, we've been calling it the refill you need. And I've had the likes of Jabari Hearn on this season. I mentioned Angela, um, so many um, amazing uh, industry professionals. What's the one thing that you think people need a refill of? Spirit of collaboration. Mm. And the reason why I say that is, look, we all go crazy when we see these iconic brands come together. Everyone, every individual is a brand. And again, going back to my comment on that crabs in a barrel mindset, so often we see our, our less melanated counterparts getting ahead because they know the right person. And instead of us focusing on just building relationships around us and with the people that we run into, we get so hyper-focused on just trying to get to the C-suite person or just trying to get to this company so everything's transactional. When you And you talked about this on LinkedIn, I'm always putting out there, look, book 30 yeah. minutes with me, whether it's to talk about a work project that you're stuck on and don't worry, I won't leak anything to like, you know, the, the outlets or anyone, whether it's you as a high school student trying to figure out career advice, you as a college student trying to figure out what's next or what internship, or you as someone who's been in their career for a long time that just wants to pick my brain. Literally, I'll throw that out there like book 30 minutes, let's collab because you never know the opportunities that are going to come for that. So again, especially for people that look like you and I, stop being mm -hmm. so transactional, stop trying to be, you know, someone who's only going after folks who are in positions of power and, and make sure you really start to collaborate with those around you and connect with those around you, because that's going to be game changing for you throughout the rest of your career and life. Absolutely. I love it so much, especially I think post pandemic where it's like, we're almost having to reset human interactions. I mean, I could even tell you, like, I think I had went to an event and I was just like, yo i used to know how to do this better you know what i mean so mm -hmm. um I, I and also too just like the spirit of collaboration i think that that's going to be key even with you know obviously now we're we're more so work a lot of more people are working from home these days and so you have to figure that out uh across the board so man uh so many gems dropped listen matt Thank you so much for joining A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. If there's anything that you want to leave our listeners with, what is that? As I mentioned, I'm sure a lot of people listening can't stress how proud everyone is of you and everything that you have accomplished to date, but also how you just continue to grow as a dynamic um, individual. I mean, I know it's, you know, you know, 40 under 40, 30 under 30, trust me, it's it's gonna 50 under 50, 60 under 60. You're you're gonna you're supposed to be on every one of these lists. I think it's just a matter of the people listening. But for the people listening at home, what would you like to leave them with? Uh the three biggest things that have helped me throughout my career, and, and anyone that has chatted with me one-on-one -on -one has heard this before. So uh, apologies that I'm regurgitating it, but it, I just think it's important to put out there. Your network is your net worth. You heard me talk about it earlier. I would not be where I am today without the people that I've connected with. Again, giving you your flowers as well, Adu. Like you, you definitely oh. put me through the ringer in a great way through Marcus Graham Project, and it prepared me for anything. Like no one in any meeting can intimidate me after I survived your creative sessions. 
Um, (laughs) I had to throw some shade in there too. Um, Secondly, after network is your net worth, I would say is embrace anything that scares you, run fully at it. When I moved to Atlanta to go to a shop that I hadn't heard of before as, you know, someone who was living in Chicago, friends and family around me, saving money by being up there, and then to drop everything and help start and launch a social strategy discipline that they didn't have before, that scared Mm -hmm. me. When I had the opportunity to move across the entire country to go to a shop that's known for its creative chops, they weren't even looking for someone in my role. But once we got to know each other, they got to meet me. They're like, let's give this, this guy a shot. That scared me. And both of those opportunities put me on the trajectory that I'm at today where I can now lead brand and creative strategy at phase. That wouldn't have happened if I played it safe. And then last but not least, um, I, I would uh, go, I go back to the brand. And you could approach it several different ways. Like I said, for me, when I first was approaching it, it was more so about building the brand that I thought needed to be out there. And now it's about fine tuning my own brand based on my superpowers, based on my strengths. And the Mm -hmm. reason why it's important for you to have a brand is your brand will get you in rooms or your name in rooms that you didn't even know existed. And that's how I got the phase clan. My boss reached out to me and asked, you got 15 minutes to chat. It turned into a 45 minute conversation. It turned into a job offer of me now leading and building team strategy at phase that didn't exist. So again, network is your net worth. Make sure that you like fully lean into that. Um, Understand that if you embrace fear and run straight towards it, that beautiful things can happen. The worst that happens is you fail gloriously. And then last but not least, uh, build your brand and, and really start to carve out how you want the world to perceive you and how you want to show up. Ooh. Hey, we're gonna drop one of Clues Boss for BK on the on the podcast, man. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. And make sure that you tune in next week. We are going to be dropping more gems um, every single week. As always, stay safe, drink a ton of water, and remember that you deserve a dose of black joy and caffeine because those are the two things that keep me going. Stay safe. <music>